Sentinel Casting on 97.3 KEPW.org, Eugene's local radio station. You can find Aisha Elliott and Black Girl from Eugene. Starting my Facebook Live now. <clears throat> Welcome everybody, this is Aisha Elliott. I am Black Girl from Eugene. And today we have a special guest coming on, Siobhan Cancel. And I wanna make sure I'm pronouncing her last name right because apparently it's French and I don't speak French at all and I don't wanna murder her name. So I'm going to allow her to join us in as we go. Um, and apparently also, oh, she's there. Hey, Siobhan, let me add you on in. Let's get started. Thank you for being here so promptly. And we're super excited. Today is Sunday, February 21st. We are joined by the Miss Siobhan. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm happy that it worked. It worked. <laughs> it showed up. Okay, so now that you're here, I want to do the first business of correcting your name. Okay, so on the flyer, I... Like transpose the B and the O, but how it's actually spelled is S I O B H A N, right? Yep. Okay, yep. so I want to put that out there in the air to know that it is not spelled correctly on my flyer. It is my bad. I transpose the letters. Um, so I know before we jump in, because I already introduced that we're going to be talking about tokenism and we're going to be talking about trauma around being the one black girl, black woman, black person in the room and having the weight of the world put onto our shoulders, you know. Um, and so we're going to get dive into that. But before we do, I have a couple announcements. Um, one is I'm wearing my shirt. It's, I don't know if you guys can see it, Nurturely. This is a perinatal um, nonprofit, perinatal care and health nonprofit um, that's here in Eugene. And I am its equity advisor. And the group that we are working on is, working with is absolutely amazing. And I want to give props to, um, Emily Little, who is the executive director and the creator of Nurturely, and we are actually having a kickoff in March. Yeah, you see my shirt? Woo woo! Okay, so um, in March, we're, th there's gonna be um, three programs kicking off, and all of them are amazing. One, uh, Tiny Humans, and I, let me see if I can remember, Positively Pregnancy, and then Nurturing Black. So, um, Tiny Humans and, uh, and Positively Pregnancy, th it's not just for birthing parents, it's for non-birthing parents. At the same time, we're creating space um, and, uh, and creating community. Nurturing Black uh, is the program that I've created, and I'm working with white families that are raising black children to make sure that their household and their approach to their child around this very sensitive racial tension in our society is coming from a culturally appropriate and responsive Wait, so they do not harm and damage their poor little babies. And with their, you know, we all love, 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 but when it comes to raising transracial children, it's, it's complicated. So I'm, I'm giving an approach to raising black children, biracial children, black and white. So there's that announcement. Um, I also wanna say I do have hoodies, you guys. Black girl from Eugene, they're black, and they have the, the black girl from Eugene on the back and the little logo on the front or the name in the front, and they are dope. So what you have to do, though, is, is you have to DM me or hit me up on my on my uh, my website, and I will work out a transaction because I'm delivering them local in Eugene or I'm mailing them out uh, nationally. So just let me know. Yeah, 
Okay, so yes, Emily's got in the comments, nurturely.org, uh, Positively Pregnancy. Um, you know, it's a, it's just an amazing program. Go to, to nurturely.org, take a look, um, and uh, there's there's just a program for everyone there. And it's, and it's, it's absolutely inclusive. It, it's absolutely DEI, you know, with a, with a strong DEI lens. Um, and the programs are being led and organized by people of color. It's amazing. So uh, take a look at nursely.org. All right, Siobhan. Okay, first of all, because your name came up and it was a thing, um, I, and I was like, I don't want to mess it up, and then bam, right there, transpose, <laughs> transpose your letters. So Siobhan, tell me, first of all, um, we want to talk about tokenism today. And I'm so happy that you're here with me. And I want to first introduce where you're coming from so people know if they don't know who you are, which I, you know, I find very weird. But if they don't know who you are, <laughs> um, I want to let you know, everyone know that Siobhan has been in Eugene on and off, right? For about 15 years. It's been 15 years solid. Okay. Yeah. And you're the founder of Siobhan Solutions, which is tackling racist systems in our local organizations, striving to be a catalyst for real change in our community and you are willing to put the work in. Um, I think it's amazing that you brought up this to topic to me in tokenism because I, I thought about our conversation last night and I was like, I think I've gotten so used to being the black girl, right? Or the black woman or the black person in a room that um, I have now tackled the idea of tokenism, right? Um, and so some of us really do struggle with tokenism. And I think I probably do on, did on some unconscious level before and then it came out as trauma later and then having to yeah. name it you know what I mean um yeah. and then when I was assaulted by the Eugene Police Department it was literally that moment where I was like oh I thought I'd been being heard this whole time and I'm yeah. not being heard I'm just a black person in the room right yeah and you know being just a black person in the room is what we're going to talk about today the trauma of that Yep, it's, it's something that, I mean, you have a little bit more experience than I, so, um, but it's still, it's still kind of a new um, voyage for me, especially with some of the rooms that I've been entering into recently. Yeah, so tell me about, okay, so when you say it's new for you, I want people to understand the, the 15 years on and off in Eugene, it's, it's on and off, because you are actually, you go back and, you as you were growing up, you went back and forth quite a bit between, you are saying, Los Angeles and New York? Yes. Okay. I was born in Orange County. And um, we moved up here uh, around 1992, and then I went to grade school here, which was the first, like, that was a shock, leaving Orange County to come up to Eugene, Oregon, and, and um, you know, being the only person of color in the whole, the whole classroom, the whole fourth and fifth grade, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was just, it was a huge culture shock. And, um, you know, just ever since then, it, it's always a little interesting to come back to Eugene because like when you live in Los Angeles or if you live in like New York or Queens or something, there's plenty of people that look like me and various hues of me. And so yes. it, it was interesting to come here and be like that one. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think, that's something that I think um, even people, black folks who are from afar, like my friends in Texas and, and you know, like you're saying, New York, Miami, all these places, they we tell them about the situation. We go, yeah, I'm the only black. And then what's, what's the, the response I get is like, why? Why, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> why? 
Yeah. So, I mean, is that what you get from your friends in New York and, like, in, in Orange County and California and all that? Like, what are you doing? Well, I mean, it is, it's so boring to them. Like, they don't even quite understand it. They're, they, first, they don't really necessarily believe me. They're like, that can't be true. And I'm like, no, it is. And um, so, I guess the best way I can put it is I had a friend of mine visit me from L.A. a couple years ago, and she had never been here before. And um, so, I took her to our vibrant downtown area, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we're used to... There is no know, vibrant downtown area. Okay. <laughs> I left for like 17 years and I remember when I first came back matter of fact I was in school and I was visiting my brother who had been here who still is here and I remember driving from Los Angeles and I was driving in Eugene and I was like how does anyone how do we ever run out of gas like I mean you're going like 25 miles an hour everywhere like it was like there was no real you know uh, interaction with people there was no there was no the driving was slow the talking was slow the the interactions were slow. It's like, how does anything, you know, where is the, the, you know what I mean? It just wasn't there. I remember distinctly being like, how do you ever run out of gas here? Right? <laughs> it's true. It's only, the gas is big. So it's, um, it, it is interesting to, to have, that's actually one of the reasons I moved back from Los Angeles is um, I realized I was spending about a whole month, a full 30 days in my car throughout the year. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It's just getting back and forth to work, you know, going to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was interesting. My mom was interested in coming back at about the same time I was thinking of leaving. And so we kind of regrouped back here back in 2015. And it's just, it is, it's a different pace for sure. Um, it's, and that's, that's not something that I really, you know, I, I don't necessarily miss the nightlife, not every night anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, some really good, you know, like hometown qualities here in Eugene mm-hmm. that that could be good for children someday. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> right, right. So okay, so we're gonna get. No, I I understand exactly what you're saying um, in terms of like switching over to a smaller town, a smaller city. Um, and I say town because it still feels very town-like, but it's a city. It's you know, it's got I think two hundred, three hundred thousand people in it, so it's a city. But it's like. Um, 
the culture shock of coming from a place where there's a, a variety of black and brown, right? A variety of black and brown. Um, and we were actually talking about your ethnic background. And I was saying, you know, we were talking about black American and then your, your background is Panamanian and Puerto Rican. And so I was saying culturally, like, um, because society has said you're black, you know, if the cops pull you over, they don't want to know about your Panamanian background, right? <laughs> they, they just want to know that they just see that you're black and that is all, right? So society right, yeah. has, has given you a role um, due to the hue of your skin, doesn't matter your ethnic background in any way, right? So we were talking about that a little bit. Tokenizing even further, you know, to being like coming from a place of ethnic background, are you like, I find that because I'm from Eugene originally and then I came out and then came back in, I had to recall what it meant to work with white people here, but I was a child then. So what I had to do is remember that what I, my role as a child here was to shut up and to be as small as possible, right? Like that's what they taught me as the only black person in the class, the school. I lived in Cottage Grove, girl. I was the only black family there in the whole damn racist city. I was, we were the only, I fought every day of sixth grade, like fought every day, right? Um, so, so this thing about it is that, um, I recall just being like, I, I knew what was expected of me as a black person living in Eugene as a 15 year old. And then I left and then all of a sudden I went into world like where you were and all of a sudden they were like, why are you so quiet? Why don't you say what you mean? Why don't you speak up? Right? That, you know? And they're like, you know, why don't you, why don't you sass it up a bit? Like what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, can I do that? <laughs> And they were like, um, please, you're making us uncomfortable. <laughs> it's so true. Like, I get, so when I, I talk to some of my friends in New York, I get kind of ragged on because I, they make fun of the way I speak. They're mm -hmm. like, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before. They're like, why are you talking white? Yeah. I'm like, I am talking English, <laughs> you know? Right. But there, there's certain um, slang and vernacular and especially the loudness, just the loudness. Like, you get a bunch of black women together, we tend to be loud. Mm -hmm. But that was something that didn't exist here in Eugene that and, and as far as I know even even hanging out with some of the black women that I've met it's not as like boisterous I mean I remember some of the cookouts that my grandma used to hold in Queens and we even with the music blaring you could still hear our voices yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I definitely had to kind of you have to get out of that sort of that shell that has been put on you it's just more of a protective like armor to make it through this white space here you have to kind of tear that off when mm -hmm. you go out and you're amongst people that, you know, look and, and, and look a little bit more like you. Yes. You know, I found here when I, while I'm here that it's hard for the black community here because the black community is not one that's been raised in black consciousness. Like they are juxtaposed to this white proximity. And so it's not it's not the same black community you would get if you ran into New York. Like. Even although if you ran to New York and then you took it to, I always refer to Houston because that's where I'm like, that's where my culture was brought in and through me and where I lived um, through my, like, while I was learning who I was, it was through in Houston, Texas. So um, it's one of those places where obviously if we bought, if we brought someone from the, from the, uh, the Bronx and someone from uh, Third Ward and we put them together, they're going to be different, duh. But there's an underlining consciousness that we all have that we don't have to speak on, that we just know. Like, we just know, yep. right? 
And here, that's missing. And so it's hard to connect, even connect black folks together because we're there's this missing, like, like do you see me? Like, do, uh, do I have to explain things? Like, I gotta explain things. And all of a sudden, now I'm feeling out because I'm like, I don't know how to connect to people who even do look like me because I'm we don't we're not speaking the same conscious level of conversation. So it becomes where do how your community is at the same time we're reaching for our community and at the same time trying to keep our sovereignty and at the same time trying to keep our dignity and at the same time trying to keep our jobs and at the same time you know so it's like being here is like and at the same time right yeah, yeah, um, there's so much there's so much and i think the the tokenized idea now i i want to go into the idea of like walking into a space being really true and full of who you know being full of your community being full of the empowerment that you know your elders give to you being full of of having another black woman look at you and be like okay hair and we understand what that means right i'm looking at your hair like okay sis (laughs) and um and we don't have that walking in to the building now like i don't when i walk into the building i don't have okay shoes and i get it like and we get it and then we're like i know and I, or i can look at her or them or him and he can look at me them and me and i can we can just be like and we get it you know we're talking and so that part fulfills you when you know you can be seen so when you're there and the only person now you and i both have had jobs that were that were in leadership positions right so yep, we're yep. Yeah. So, and we've also had to come from the bottom up. So, I'm sure we've had entry level jobs. How much? How many jobs have you had where you're the only black person there? And uh, leadership or entry level or or in the or in the middle? I mean, the entry level jobs. There was definitely more diversity, and by that I mean there might have been one other person. Um, yeah. But definitely, once I started getting into management, I was the only black person there. Yes. As you got higher up. The less, the less people there. And so um, what I find is even when I was in positions uh, moving up while I was living in Texas, the higher up I got, the less the people of color wanted to connect on the levels of of being, of of connectivity. Like, I, I mean, when I was in Houston, I worked with Mexican people a lot, Mexican folks and black folks. That's who I worked with. When I went into leadership, I worked with the same people, more white people, but Mexicans and uh, literally Mexican folks and black people from Texas. The, the further I went up, the less about black connectivity or Latin connectivity or or was was the goal, right? Well, sure. I think like what happens is we move up in those ladders, you know, you recognize patterns that get either positive or negative sort of reactions. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep your job. Everybody wants to keep their job. They need food. So it's like... <laughs> gotta, have, get, gotta pay rent. <laughs> yeah. As you get higher up, it's kind of like that shell gets harder and harder and thicker and thicker because you're just really trying to move through and almost just survive this system that's in place. And you see that maybe perhaps your white counterparts aren't um, laughing as loud, just to give it a simple example. And mm-hmm. so you tone down your laugh. Or you see, like, um, maybe as for women, you see some of the um, higher, the white counterparts wearing, like, maybe um, high-heeled shoes. And so now you start wearing high-heeled shoes. Mm -hmm. And with each of those things where we conform, we lose a little bit of ourselves. And that's that, I feel like that's that connectivity. It's like, 
when I meet and I can just walk into a room and I see like another sister there, I see like another brother there, and I just look at them and they look back at me and you know the, the little head nod. <laughs> 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 so I mean that that that's I think the most simplest form of communication. But as we move up these ladders, so much static gets put in the way in between us, and I think that's intentional. Um, but it, it just makes it difficult for us to truly collaborate with that connection that's there I believe it's still there it's just so much has been put layers on top of it to suppress it yeah I you know what listening to how you put that there I I want to believe it's still there too like I want to believe it's still there and there is so much more like I don't want to say more pressure but there is so much pressure when when you're in uh, leadership positions to uh, to assimilate yep you know, and I think when I really believe, like it wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't as hard for me when I could go home to, uh, when I could go to my community and we could, I could be, uh, you know, fed, like empowerment. It's harder when we're in a community where there, the lack of a robust community, meaning like you, like you said, you can go to the stores, you can go to the movies, you can go, you can see your peoples, right? Not like two or three, but like, and we're doing our thing. We're not doing the smaller thing we're doing our thing and so it's much bigger than what you see it's louder than what you see it's it's more colorful than what you see here yeah. right yeah so um when we are lacking that and then we go to work and we're having to be the only person that that um is is there there's a, a level of like you just explained very eloquently is like how you decide to like maybe I shouldn't be wearing my hair so big if I'm like the only one here wearing my hair so big like maybe I shouldn't be but for me like as I've gotten older um there's a level that and this is what I think is important is that we have to break through to get to the to the I don't give a fuck level of like you gonna see my afro in the, in the middle of this presentation if you if the shadow is big I'm gonna need you to just adjust your head to the side a little back so you can see it right I mean but there's a level of like I bring a value to you that you can't get anywhere else and so you gonna take me how I am that that comes with that and it comes with years of experience of like yeah. I know you can you could move me but I know you need me so I'm gonna do me right and you're gonna accept me while I do it right and but that that takes years of, of yeah. yeah of really standing up for yourself in these spaces and I think what happens with white folks is like they they want just it starts as a very young child like you were explaining in your classroom they want they have this weird idea of inclusion, and so they think bringing one or diversity, or bringing one person into the room, because they're like, there's only two percent of black people in Eugene, so one person is about right. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if that's what they're thinking, but so they're like, yeah, let's do that one person. But then the thing about that one person, even as a child, all of a sudden, what did you say last night? We are tasked with no, the. Yeah, with explaining everything. Like the one of the things I remember distinctly in class is um it's like fourth or fifth grade and we had gotten to the Civil War and I remember the teacher said something about slavery and I swear all the students' eyes as well as the teacher's eyes turn to look at me and i'm like eight or nine you know i don't have all the answers of what happened with slavery Why you have no answers that? right <laughs> <laughs> but it just it felt like i was put on the spot because i was the only person there and then on top of that it's like it really expressed how different pe 
people to see me in this space. Yes. And it's like no one would think to maybe perhaps create a space for me where I might be comfortable in sharing. It was just an automatic response for them to look at me and like go, tell us more, Siobhan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember um, a time that having that feeling, God, Black History Month was the worst. It was like yeah. the worst month ever for me in school because it was exactly that. I was always the only black girl there besides my sister who was younger than me. So she was somewhere else getting tortured in the same fashion. And <laughs> we were, and everything was like, do you know? Do you know? And I'm like, these are not my cousins. I don't know. No, I don't know. Right? I wasn't there. And it would be, and I was like in fourth grade. And I was like fighting like that. Like, I was like, no, I, I can't tell you what happened. I was not there. It was not my family. We don't have people, you know, this is not story time at dinner. Like, I would be like, you know, and, and they would, and I don't know if they were picking on me or if they were actually wondering if I really knew. You know what I mean? I don't know, but I knew that I was the one responsible for knowing. And that was when my teacher, too, my teacher would be like, how do you yep. feel, Aisha? Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Like, I'm like, I know about as much as you do. Okay. <laughs> Why? And I'm, this is me in, in, you know, fourth grade with my teacher asking me how I feel in the middle of the slave presentation. I feel like I'd like to go under a rock. Thank you. You know what I mean? So, so it's, it's not, it translates, you know, as you get older into the same thing at work where they're like, we would like to talk to black people. Aisha, how many people do you know? Well, <laughs> yes. I'm like, I to know all the black people. Like, I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. I could call my sister? I don't know what you want me to do here. Like, okay, you know. Um, I, I don't get my hair products here either. I have to go find people in Portland, you know, so I'll do my best, right? I don't know, I don't know if people quite understand the level of, of, even in my show, even in my Space of Black Girl from Eugene, I say it at every show. I'm speaking from my lived experience. I do not speak for the general population of black people or the whole population of black people. I, I am speaking and I'm sure I relate to people who are living my similar lived experience, right? Being a black woman in a place that's surrounded by whiteness, trans coming in, coming out of this situation, I am I am relatable. I am not speaking for the life experience to of, of, of every black woman, right? Yep. Can't do it, wouldn't do it. I just, that cousin thing, when you said cousin, it really just kind of cracked me up because it seems like growing up here, it's like I was, Everybody was supposed to be my cousin. Like, oh, you have to know so and so who lives down the street. I'm like, why? Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. And it's it's interesting. It's also this space. Like, I don't know if the children who were asking us these questions were really curious or were just trying to be buttheads or whatever. But it's just that that space that that they put us in is we're all one. We're interchangeable. None of us are individual. It's like if I'm talking to Siobhan, I'm talking to every single black woman in Eugene. It's right. Like, that's not the case. And right. it's, it's sad that we have to preface our speeches or our, our opinions with, I'm speaking from my experience. Right. Please do not hold every other black person you encounter after I share to my experience. I, don't, I, I mean, I think that's important when we're talking about tokenism as well, because like, I feel like a lot of black, white folks in this community who are not experienced with black culture and who are not experienced with black people, period, end up bringing in black folks who don't even identify 
with black culture, don't identify with black struggle, don't identify with blackness, you know, they just, yeah. they just are not associated with it. They, they try very hard not to, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's not something, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about that right now, but, <laughs> but I have all kinds of opinions on that, but I mean, there are people who get to be able to do that, right? Black folks can be traumatized too. And to the point where they don't want to, don't recognize me as black. I don't want you labeling me black, you know, and whatever. And they have a a negative connotation with their own description of black. They, they, when they hear black, there's black folks who have taken in and swallowed wholeheartedly that black folks are, when you say black, that means criminal. And I'm trying to tell you, I'm not like them. And so there's people who are in a cultural crisis that are trying to fit in. And so every time you pick a black person to be on your board, doesn't mean you're picking a black person who has black experience or who has who is squarely in the interest of, of promoting and, and empowering black success, right? So it's, it's racist in the idea to think that because you and I are both the same skin tone, that you and I have the same things to say. You're Panamanian and Puerto Rican. I don't have nothing to say on your level of what you lived and grew up with. I have been to Panama once, okay? And I have never been to Puerto Rico, and I, I don't know nothing about... I mean, you know, and then you want to get back with me, and if they're looking at you like, oh, you know, well, Aisha said, don't you understand? You've never lived where I... My, I I've lived in several different cultures, and I, I grew up with my parents here, and blah, blah. We have different... So it's, it's that idea that you and I, because we have skin tone, that we have the same thing to offer. Yep. Is that tokenized idea, and you're just going to put us in the middle of all of this and then put all the pressure of every one culture that has to be black and brown on our shoulders. And if we fail, or not even fail, if we, if we don't succeed to bring in the satisfaction of the white folks who told us that you need to be the representative of everybody else on our terms... Yep. Then, then you are all kinds of other other uh, types of failure. Like, what are you? I mean, you are you are, can't do your job. You're inept. You're you're not in touch with the community. You're you know you and other people probably like, oh well, she only got there because she was black, not because yep. I tried to be here because I was black. That's what you brought me in here for. And on top of it, I'm trying to tell you how to bring authentic black connection to the community and brown connection, and you don't want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard things like, well, are you sure that'll work? And it's like, well, no, I haven't, I don't have a proven, tested theory that I've already put into place for the company that you have just brought me into. Right. And it's like, maybe this is a good idea. Can yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's another um, experience that I've had with being that one in the room. Um, so, you know. I, I just taught, I just had a, I was on somebody else's podcast and I had somebody, a gentleman watching and he was, you know, had never really been through any training, had never really talked about white fragility. He never, you know, really had to have conflict, right? And I was yeah. thinking about this driving here, how black folks, how we, um, conflict is not something necessarily, and I'm not going to say it's, like I said, it's general. Um, it's not necessarily something that you avoid, right? It's not like there, there can be some conflict and you can learn and you can kind of, there, there is some tug, tug and pull in our in our interaction, right? And it can still be fine, you know. It doesn't, I, you know, tug and pull is fine, right? Um, and this is a generalization, but I, I was thinking about how um, being at the table, and if you're asking us to be black at the table, right? Like you brought me here, you tokenized me, I'm the only one here, so now I'm the one. So if I 
give you give these white folks something and they've never heard of it because they don't have they don't have black people to listen to. So anything yeah. I say that is going to be promoting black and brownness is going to be something new, which means it's going to be something you haven't heard before. And therefore, you're going to have to trust me. <laughs> right? And I think I think that is the true barrier is that you can you can like black people, right? You can be like, oh, she's so pretty. Oh, she's so articulate. Oh, she's so funny and smart. And oh, she's got the. the. And then I go, oh, but I need us to go left. And you go, oh, I don't know if you have the qualifications to tell me to go left. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's one of the that kind of gets me back to they they see us all as like one 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 massive uh, one massive person. I guess would be the correct terminology. And it's like. It's it's not it's it's not only super degrading and disrespectful, but that trust issue comes from and this is just my opinion. It comes from not seeing us as equal or better, not even seeing us as the humanity that I bring as a single woman, whether I be black, brown, red, purple, whatever. Just see me as a human. Mm-hmm. So since I can't even get to that level. How are they supposed to trust me? That'd be like asking them to trust their toaster or asking them to trust their cat. Right. And I'm not saying that all white people look at it that way, but I feel like they're, in my experience, I feel when I get that little, are you sure? Maybe. It's like, I when I when I get the confidence enough to raise my voice to propose an idea, right. you have to trust that I have done the research, I have done, I mean, because I know it's going to be picked apart. That's just how I've been brought up. It's mm-hmm. like, make sure you work twice as hard. Right. So for me to even get up there and speak on something, it's like, there's so much backstory that they don't even know about. <laughs> Look, they don't even care. They think that you're coming like they did, rolled out of bed and showed up. No, I have to yeah. make sure I came 110% correct for all this, what you're about to bring to me now, and then tell me that you'll think about it, right? Yeah. And the, the issues, like, for me is, like what you just said, all the work it takes and requires us to be at that table and then to not be heard or to have our idea come in and then be whitewashed out. Like, um, I was looking at the, uh, you know, proposals for legislation of, you know, how Oregon is being like the first state in the in the country to bring in Native American, um, uh, educate, like rewriting the Native American narrative around their history in, in, um, in books, which I thought was amazing because I mean, my brothers and sisters, my Native American indigenous brothers and sisters, I'm like, they are not even thinking about that for black history. But the fact that they started with Native Americans, great. But yeah. the problem is, is that they're still not taking in the, the Native American narrative as it is. They have still taken it and rewrote it to still whitewash it so that they can they can still give a, a truncated, yet a little different, truncated approach to what they say they is acceptable for the history books, right? Still not the full story, still have ta- had Native Americans contribute and then said, no, not quite like that. What, what? Okay, so this is the whole thing. When we're talking about inclusivity and then we're talking about white supremacy, those things cannot coexist, right? No. They cannot, no. yeah. So if you're going to have Native Americans, Indigenous folks bring you their history and you're going to say, we'll take this piece, we'll take that piece, then it's already whitewashed, it's done. Yeah, and, that, and then. What we have to do as what we have to do as black and brown people is go, well, at least they took that three pieces of that tin that we gave them. Three pieces are in. 
So that's a that's a small victory. That's what we have to do. And we have to be like, okay, with like, let's say we got an idea to the board. Let's say we're on the board. Let's say we're doing this, right? Let's say we're we're a director. Like they've given us that position. And we have assistants that are all white. So everything that we do, they're going, um, I'm not sure if the director would like you to do that. I think you might want to do it this way. And you're going, well, I'm the director here. You go, yeah, I understand. I'm trying to make you successful. So I'm just want to make sure that you do this, blah, blah, blah. And blah. Uh, okay, right? So then you're doing all this other stuff. So all of a sudden, what you come through and you go, yeah, I wrote that bit. That kind of sounds like my idea. I, it's not what I said, <laughs> but yeah. it is kind of what I wanted in a way. I mean, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> We have to settle. We yes. have to settle. Just like when you brought up earlier having to drive to Portland to get your hair stuck. Yeah. I mean that's we it's it's, it's constant struggle. One of my friends the other day we got it we get into it sometimes because I choose to look at the issues that are in our world and I choose to speak about them. Yes, it is a choice. I personally don't know another way, but for them they choose not to, you know, they just choose to put the blinders on, try to go through life with this minimum amount of trauma, you know, just work their jobs, get it, you know, and, and, and that's another way to go. I don't know how to be that way, mm. but when you look at things and, and you take them, like, let's say I propose an idea to a board and I say that we should have, we should wear purple every Wednesday and they're like, no, 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 no. And so what they start doing is like, okay, we'll wear a purple, pink and plump, you know? And it's like, well, that's not really what I said, but purple's in there, so <laughs> I guess I'll settle for it. But I really wanted it to be purple because purple is actually related to royalty, and I think that Wednesday should be a royal day. So they're missing just the whole entire point right. of what it is that we're trying to do. Same thing with the Native American stories. Native Americans, most of their stories are, are spoken, they're verbal stories. And so you have to do your hardest to get them as accurate as possible when you're writing down. Like, this is when you need each letter, each word to be accurate. Straight up. It's upsetting to hear that um, there's there's still, I mean, obviously it's not surprising, but it's upsetting to hear that they're finally going to listen. But, oh, we're only going to listen with like half an ear. Yeah. (laughs) And then the thing is, is that people want to expect us to be like, at least you're on the board. At least you got the job. Okay, great. Now I get to be super frustrated and totally pissed the whole time I'm here because my ideas are being taken from me, rewritten, washed out, and then, you know, something that I don't even recognize or nor do I want to stand behind. And then you ask me to come back and do it again. Like, this is trauma because I am here authentically qualified, you know, in my, not only in my education, not only in my work experience, but also in my lived experience. And when I bring you an idea and you tell me you will take the last sentence out of it because the rest just doesn't fit the the identity of the whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. then then what are you telling this the tokenized black person on your, your board? You're here to be pretty. Okay? <laughs> Make yep. sure you keep wearing them cornrows so we look authentic, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Make sure you can up your hair, you know. <laughs> Take the HR pick that we're going to show to incoming employees. Come on. That's right. That's right. No, I know your name is on nothing, but we want you right in the center. (laughs) And the thing is, is that people who have the privilege not to see that don't see what we're going through in that moment. Like we're, you know, and we're like, we're like walking slow. Like, okay, we'll sit here in the center. And we're looking, that eye, that look in our eyes in the middle of the picture. And you're like, girl, look at the picture. You're like, girl, look at her. She pissed. (laughs) She mad. They mad. (laughs) 
They're mad. They put her right in the middle. Oh, girl, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and, and why are we supposed to be? Ha- you know, I've heard that exact saying before. Oh, you should. Um, well, at least you're there, or at least at least you've made it this far, or, or you should just be happy that it's like. Why should I have to settle? Why should I just be happy? You obviously recognize my skills, qualifications, and time put in in order for me to get here. So I'm not going to just sit here and be so, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate this opportunity. I'm going to take the tools and skills that I have and, I believe, make things better, at least from my perspective. So I believe that pisses me off when I hear things like, oh, you should just be happy where you are. It's like, do you tell that to your white friends? Do you tell that to your kids? Yeah. (laughs) Straight up. No, straight up. I mean, honestly, like the the whole idea of, of the surprise that you're there. Like there's mm-hmm. a, this idea of tokenism is where the, the director puts you there because they know they should have someone there. Right. The black and brown, having at least one black or brown person on the board makes sense. Right. To, to make sure that it looks like you're not racist. So definitely throw somebody in there. You know, Asians work OK, but it's better to have, you know, at least a brown body in there, too. So that's kind of how they look, where it looks like it's diverse. We've got Asian folks, we've got black folks, and if you've got a black person and a brown person, most likely the brown person will probably have, because then they use the, well, you know, they're bilingual, so we're going to give them a little bit more of whatever, right? But they're still being tokenized too, and they're being utilized for their language skills, and they're not getting paid what they for all the translations they end up having to do that's not in their job description. So they're being, yep. you know, tokenized as well, right? So we all in there trying to trying to get our causes and get our voices heard against each other where we all know we're disposable and we're not being utilized otherwise, right? So I think when you when you look at um <clears throat> white folks who are like well you know how how are we supposed to hire more people when there's just not people here there's just not anybody here you know and i i have a lot to say about that because frankly it's not true you know what i mean but there's two to three percent black people that's not zero that's two or three percent black people and bt dub there are people outside of eugene Right outside of Eugene, there are people in Portland, there are people in California, there are people everywhere who are black that you can bring in. But on top of not bringing in, there are people right here locally that can do the work who are of color, who are of, uh, you know, who have any kind of, of intersectionality that will bring a true voice to the board. But they have to learn to decenter themselves so that they can hear what we have to say and then use it in its real time. Like you were talking about trust. When you, when you innately believe that you're giving someone a chance, not that we've earned that chance, there's no, there's no way for trust, right? Yep. You always have the control over what it is I can and cannot do. If you don't really believe that I earned my way, and not did we only earn it, we had to doubly earn it, right? Like we had to push our way through. So if you're not seeing the fact that I'm in the same place that you are and, it's, and that means that I worked 10 times harder than you did to get here, you're not trusting the fact that I know what I'm doing, how are we gonna work together? It doesn't sound like it's possible, but I mean, every day we go out there and try to make it work. Every um, day. Girl, okay, so you know I'm, with the, I'm on the OCF diversity and diversity committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 yep, uh-huh. <laughs> She's an 
yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I mean, how's that going? <laughs> you already know. You already know. Don't even mess with me. You already know. Oh my god, you already know. Okay, so I, so I, oh man, you know there. Okay, I'm gonna say this. I've been on that diversity board for uh, that diversity committee for a long, like way too long. Like I, every time I go to a meeting, I'm like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> every single time, why am I doing this to myself? And it's the worst kind of, of it's the worst kind of position to be in as a black person. Is that somewhere like in a in a whole a whole like city, not just the committee. I'm talking about OCF all together. A whole this liberal progressive just smorgasbord of blindness right you know and so it's like to be black in that center is a little torturous it's a, it's a little mis- you know masochistic it's a little bit so when yeah so because <laughs> because i have so much um so because i have so much tied to the fair being like the black person who was like i there was a black person here right <laughs> like, i i can't like i can't like look away you know what i mean so you um, it. you love the fairy. Don't start with me. Don't start with me. It's complex. It's complex, Siobhan. <laughs> Both love is. Both love is complex. You have a vested interest in there. Yeah. Both love is complex. You have a vested interest in there. I don't want to say it. Work that you're doing on there. Someone needs to do it. It's so bad. I mean, liberal and progressive does not mean um not racist. Oh, you it means it actually means liberal. racist most times. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just let me put that out there. So. What I'm trying, what, okay, so on the board, this is the best committee, this is the best committee I've worked with as a committee, right? I'm going to say that. This is the best committee that I've worked with as a committee. However, the trauma getting to the point where this committee is, um, is something I have a hard time letting go of because I was not only tokenized, but I was traumatized in being tokenized by the very committee that I, that is being, you know put forth for us right now, right? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a big notification. Anyway, I'm, I have been, um, I have been uh, traumatized by, the, by people of the same committee. So as we're doing the work, although this committee is super strong, I constantly feel like I'm having to reword what I'm trying to say. There are definitely a few people who are like, listen to what she's saying, say it the way it's said, right? Um, they are also from marginalized communities, and there's a couple people who aren't, who are getting it slowly every day. They're like learning, you can tell they're learning, they're doing the work. You're like, okay, you're getting it, you're getting it. But to the fight of being authentic, the fight to showing up as authentic as you can to show up is a fight every time because there's like, whoa, Nelly, it's a little rough what you're saying. It's a little tough to hear it. You're coming at me so strong. I need you to tone you down. And so you're constantly being checked where you have to like cradle fragility. And I came up with it. I didn't come up with it by myself, but it definitely was my suggestion to bring in this DEI team. And what it is, is not at all what I was saying, right? The money that they would give us, the whole idea of it just wasn't it. But because the whole idea was to like push this, this is a good idea, what happened is that we all pushed forward to just get it done, to get something, that compromise. Let's get something. And once we get something, it will, it will keep going. We don't want them to ignore it all together. Let's just keep moving. I realize that's what we have to do to cradle white fragility but to know that 
the solution is right there and that they just have to get uncomfortable and swallow the solution so that it will work and that yeah. will never happen is something we have to con constantly and continuously just cradle the fragility because otherwise they'll just shut it down and we won't ever have a chance. It's like, oh, yeah. oh it is so, and it's so frustrating because I'm like, let them go. <laughs> we can start from scratch. I don't give a shit. Let's just <laughs> blow the whole thing up at this point and start again. Okay. <laughs> but it, I just want to, I just, and, I, and again, I go, I come back every week. I come back every week. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what that is. Is that investment? Or is that just self-torture? I mean, your family's been going to fair for a while. I am brand new to fair, so, and, I, and as a black person, I must admit, tracing out to the woods of Benita overnight doesn't sound very safe to me. Um, so I've never been in fair. But I think, I think what, what I, and this is something I was telling um, another organization I've been working with, is, you know, you have to do something. And I don't think that it should ever be like what I've told every every person that I've like interviewed for a potential client is this is not a one and done. You will not get a certificate. You will not get a stamp of approval. This is a journey, so you might want to bring a partner. Okay. It's going to take until the end of your life. Yeah, I, I won't reach it. Neither will you. We're going to keep making these strides together. And I think that when you're always in it, because, you know, OCF was a always listening so you're screaming you're screaming for years and years and then all of a sudden like a huge incident happens like this summer with the murder of george floyd and they're like why are you so hoarse how come you can't tell us you know it's like i've been screaming at you for the past 10 years now you're finally ready to listen and i can only whisper because my voice is strong and then even when they listen to you and they get those snippets they're like oh but we're still gonna do this right. and it's like I'm at least thankful that people are understanding that this is no longer a class because when you talk to some of our government agencies, especially our public safety people, they're like, oh yeah, we take that class each year and then they just mark it off. And it's like, but yet, why are you still shooting black people in the back? Right. Right. Why do we have the force institute coming to EPD to teach them how to justify shooting people in the back? Right. You know, it's like, well, obviously there's some disconnect there. So it makes me feel a little, my heart gets a little warmed up to hear that people understand that this is not a one and done thing. This is a this is a journey. There's more conversation around the fact that this is a lifelong journey, and there's way more conversation of, with white folks around, you know, maybe we should be listening, and maybe we haven't been doing this right. Maybe white supremacy is a thing. Um, and the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be putting together for my workshops and for my trainings more about. Um, asking white folks if they can actually describe white culture and because the thing about i mean it's true because if you can't describe white supremacist culture how are you just how are you deconstructing it you can't you got to be able to grab it and say this is what we're deconstructing right and so if you can't describe it we're just we're just we're acting like it's way out there and it's something that we can put on our t-shirt and then flaunt around with it's not yeah. it's like this is something that takes everyday deconstructing and it takes a personal perspective to what you believe is true every day so when that black woman black man black person uh indigenous person walks through the door you know and uh and they want to tell you that what we're doing for dei is unacceptable and we're going to have to start from scratch and you're going uh excuse me <laughs> 
that's not going to happen, sis, because uh, we've been working on this a long time, and it looks just fine. We have not had one complaint from one black person yet, so it's fine. And do you have any black people there? <laughs> <laughs> My question. Like, do, do you even have a black person in your DEI group? <laughs> and, and BT Dub? Why do you think black people are gonna come in here and, and talk to you when your your whole your whole situation screams racist? Why why do you think and so when black people and, and indigenous people and Latin people come in and sit down, you asking them questions, they're gonna tell you what you need to hear and they're trying to get the hell up out the space. Trust you and oh here goes my chain. Trust me, you are not getting the whole answer. You're getting the answer that will keep you cool and will give me my fifty dollars for participating. Believe me, okay? I might say a little something that's true that I know that you can probably change, but I'm not going to give you the whole, like, you know what? It would be really nice if I didn't have to walk up in here <laughs> and see this this tone policing idea of what I should look like or this thing or, or, or I can't bring my grandma in the room and there's only two people allowed and I got 15 people in my family. Like, I don't want you to tell me how to be more white when I walk through this door asking for help. I know how to do that, right? And so black and brown people are gonna walk in there and they're gonna do what you need, what the white institution's asking because we've been trained to yep. do so, we know how to do it quick and fast. Yep. We're gonna get in there and we're gonna get the hell out. And you know, and so you're not gonna get an authentic uh, um, uh, friendship and relationship with the community because you, the institution, is not willing to look at itself as an institution that is based in racism. Go yeah. up, look, look, my voice has gone up an octave. I'm about to go off. So let me just... <laughs> it, it, it's a very true subject. I mean, that's one of the things... I mean, you know this. So many people get so, like, I don't know, um, like, offended when you talk about racism and the systems. And it's like, I'm not talking... I'm not sitting there specifically and pointing at you saying you're racist. There's something wrong with you. We have all been brought up under these systems. Yes. And if you want to force me into some cookie-cutter mold so you can check a box, that's not acceptable and it's something that we deal with every day we grew up learning white history i mean all of the history books are filled with like everything like from christopher columbus to manifest destiny to the industrial revolution you know yes and, and, and that, that green deal chicken in every pot not for black people that gi bill black people went over and fought world war ii how many of them do you see getting homes when they got back so it's one of those systems that just has just been compounded and compounded and I'm not saying that we can hang it on anybody's specific head but we have to recognize that when we're asking things of people because we want to learn hopefully that's why we're asking that we let them we create a safe space where they can come in and feel comfortable talking about it right because to get the generic answer we're not going to ever grow and and to you oh that uncomfortability thing it's like I don't understand I guess it must I've never really had a point in my life where I've just been like totally comfortable like what? everything you know? must be nice <laughs> must be nice so i yeah. don't know what that is but i think that you know a lot of people struggle at least the white people i've been talking to with getting out of that comfort space it's like you can't just be like oh yeah shooting black people is wrong um yeah we should make sure we have better free school lunch programs you actually have to like recognize how you participate in that system just like right. i recognize every day how I participate in that system and have been brought up in the system. <laughs> I mean, deconstructing whiteness is not something that is easy to do for any of us, like exactly with what you just said. I remember, um, like, tokenism was, was what we're talking about here, and me having to realize that every time, just like you, the way that I talk, my vernacular is flat, 
sounds, you know, Pacific Northwest, which is, you know, yep. equals white, right? So when I go, right? So when I go south, they, they tease me a little bit. They're like, oh, is that what you really want? <laughs> like, I'm like, you know what? Don't make me bring the bass. Don't make me bring the bass. And then everyone, we start laughing, you know. But the thing is, is that because I'm, because now I have grown into myself, right? I now don't apologize for who I am. So I have to realize it goes the other way too. When I'm in white spaces, one thing that I have to deconstruct is the way that I automatically have been trained to behave, which I, which makes me uncomfortable. So I thought when I, I remember, um, I was married to a white dude when I cut my hair into an Afro, right? I, I, yeah, I actually had my permed hair and my dad always said that my hair was really long, right? I, I've always had long hair for, you know, for a black girl. And, uh, right? And so my hair was, was always like kind of my pride. Like it was like long and hung down my back. and It was, it was relaxed. So I was just like, oh, you know, I got teased for that a little bit in Texas too. You know, being light-skinned with long straight hair is not, it comes with its price. So anyway, I came here and um, I remember being like, I just want to, I want to see what my hair looks like. Like I haven't yeah. seen my hair since I was 14 when I begged and begged and begged and pleaded my mom to straighten my hair, like begged and pleaded, right? Um, and so I was like, okay, I want to see what my hair looks like. Now I'm going to give credit to the relationship I was in because I felt so loved and so whole and so like I could really be free like I felt like I could be free right so I was like yeah so I was like I'm cutting this I'm cutting my permed hair off girl I was in the shower because I had been wearing my hair in braids so that it could grow out I kept wearing it in braids and grow out and um I was like okay I remember one of the first things I thought of is was my job I'm the only black person there and I'm about to walk in there with an afro I'm about to get fired I was like, I'm about to, they're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm a Black Panther and they're going to come in there thinking I'm, I'm trying to revolutionize the whole damn place with my afro. I'm about to get fired, right? And I remember, and I was in the shower and I yelled out to my husband. I said, look, come here. I want you to cut my hair. And he was like, what? I said, hurry up before I change my mind. <laughs> and he came in and he just started chopping all the straight hair off. I said, just get the limp, limp straight hair and just chop it. And so he cut it. Girl, I got out the shower. I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, oh my God. You know, I just couldn't believe what I looked like, but I liked it. I liked it. And so about six months into it, when it started to get harder for me to do, you know, and I was like, it started to grow a little bit. I was like, oh, oh, damn, like I got all this hair. <laughs> this is not easier. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, girl, I started looking at myself and I was like, Am I pretty? Like, I was like, this is not pretty. Like, I have to, like, the edges or, like, something. I have to, like, do, make this curlier or less nappy or or something. Like, something has to happen with my hair, right? And I just, I started to freak out because I was like, oh, no. I, I was starting to deconstruct. And I was starting to look at myself in my own authenticity, seeing my actual kinky, curly hair and being, like, oh, I'm getting further and further away from a Eurocentric look and I don't yep. recognize myself as pretty right now. And that was a moment of such an uncomfortability for me. 
I still have to go to work with yeah. a bunch of white people who are trying to like you know fetishize on me while I'm struggling to deconstruct my beauty standard from what they think I should look like to what I think I should look like while they're de- while they're fetishizing me you know yeah. so um it's just it's just something where when you talk about this tokenism and you talk about people wanting to hear black people and they're uncomfortable right you're uncomfortable with the truth of my reality and here yeah. i am here i am helping you get there and you're going to decide what part of my journey is is enough for for white folks to hear while i'm sitting here deconstructing your your beauty standards your education standards and while at the same time being devalued for what i'm giving to you to learn right yes. so this is when you talk about yeah so when you talk about white folks being uncomfortable i mean when you get black and brown people looking at you straight like this and we ain't got nothing to say that's because there's a lot more that you don't know about being uncomfortable in this situation you know I mean, it's so true. I I, I must admit, and I've, I've, I it's kind of a new newish thing. I feel women in natural hair, black women in natural hair, oh. like we have been so oppressed to straighten the heck out of it, or to do weaves, or to get anything that gives us that flowy hair down our back. <laughs> we left and right, right. And um, I do beg my mom to perm my hair when I was thirteen. She 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 wouldn't do it, but my stepmother did. So uh, <laughs> you found somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, so, and it, I've been perming my hair, gosh, all the way up until I turned 30. And then mm-hmm. when I turned 30, I was just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm so done. I'm just going to let it grow out. And it, it grew out, and I started uh, finding different products, you know, working with different things, ordering them, because Lord knows they weren't here. Right. Um, <laughs> and finally, I got to a place where I felt comfortable. But isn't it hilarious that one hairstyle from a black woman could possibly shut down an organization to these white folks. Like, just my hair being in its natural state makes you think the whole hierarchy of your fragile existence may come tumbling down. That's, right. There needs to be some unpacking there. We should have another one of these just all about hair. Look, I, look, I do it all the time. Let's do it every week. Let's talk about it. I mean, you know, there's so much about being, there's so much about showing up authentically that, that I think people are like, you know, we get this, just the same idea that we get this criminalized idea, we get this, she's so strong. She's, you're so, you're so bold. You're so, and I'm like, the, what, the, the self-talk that took me to come up in here, you know, <laughs> to try to just be here and be black and be authentic to myself. Like this is, this is not, it, it's this fetishist, like as if there's no vulnerability to our, our conditioning as well. It's just because that normalization of privilege is like as if we, it just is for everyone. It is not. And this deconstruction, no. as people are talking about George Floyd and white folks are going, oh my God, I, this has been going on. And then black folks are being like, damn it, I ain't doing this shit no more. You know? <laughs> it's two different things on the same, it's on the same coin. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and sure. so after like that point that we're making with, when my hair, my afro started to get bigger and bigger, so did my authenticity, right? So did my like, you know what? I don't know what to do with my hair and I'm pissed because it's because all these years I've been trying to permit so that y'all would accept me and now here I am yep. struggling with my own damn self, you know, <laughs> and I'm mad, right? And so here I am. And so the bigger it got, the more about me I got, right? The more yep. about myself and the better. And I remember, girl, one summer I, my afro had gotten 
big baby. Like, I, and I'm talking to the shoulders, right? And it was just like, now I have, I have some sort of lineage that does not allow my Afro texture to stand straight up. Don't talk to me about it. I'm pissed. So it it hangs down. It kind of flops. Right? <laughs> my texture is not as tight as I would like it to be. So uh, it flops, right? So I remember one time I was walking to the store and I had girl it was summertime. So you know I had my little short shorts on and I had my little tank top on. And I had my afro out, and my sunglasses. I was cute. I was cute. Yeah. Right. But I'm in Eugene, so I'm standing out like a sore damn thumb. <laughs> so, I knew because at this point I'm just flexing on people at this point I'm just like you know what I'm about to make everyone uncomfortable so when I went through because at this point now I'm like you know what I'm gonna try it on and I'm gonna see how you guys can be uncomfortable I've been uncomfortable for so long being tokenized in every direction I'm about to stand out so I went ahead and I stood out and what I realized you know you get that fetish the, the men are looking at you and the women are hating on you. They're like, oh, how dare her. And the men are like, oh, what's that about? Oh, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> But don't nobody say nothing to you. And so I'm making a statement by just living my best life. That, that is tokenism in itself. Like that is a way that I'm trying to bite, fight against tokenism. I'm trying to say, you are going to take this, Aisha, all of it. And you're just going to have to take it. Like, I'm not going to be any other way for you but me. And I think I want to hope that more of us are getting to that level of self-acceptance in the midst of all of this, of all of this revelation for transformation that this country is going through, that more of us are finding the strength and tokenism of being like, you know what? Y'all have one person on this board, and that is me. And you're not going to tokenize me. I am not the representative for all people. Right. I, I, if I'm going to give you this information, I expect that because I'm here, that you're going to hear it. <laughs> so I, I want us to be us tokenized black folks and brown folks. I want us in this transformation to be empowered in that light. Yeah. You know, yeah, it would be nice. It would really be nice. And it takes like you were saying, it takes time because we have to be like for me personally, like it was a struggle for me to, to work with my hair. I mean, I, I definitely had yeah. been working in my profession for years and it had always been straight. And I remember when I was going to go back to work and it was curly and it was still super short because, you know, all the permit broke off. So it wasn't really, there wasn't really much I was doing with it. It was just like, bam. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, this, this, I t- the conversation I had in the mirror that morning was like, well, this is just going to have to do because there's nothing else I can do with it. Still put on my same suit that I own, well, whatever variation of the suit that I would wear to work. And, and I went. And, and nobody said anything until like a few days after, like after they, I guess they realized that it wasn't just a phase, it was something that was going to be hanging out. And you weren't just like, feeling black that day? Okay. Yeah, I feeling about blackness. <laughs> um, and like one of my coworkers commented, she's like, oh, wow, your hair is so pretty. And the first thing she went to do was touch it. And I, I, I have slapped her hand away. And you know, I've had people reach to touch my hair before and I've never been so um i guess egregious and no like usually it's like uh-uh please don't i'm not a pet but i actually slapped her hand away and i think that confidence came from me having that chat with myself and being safe in myself saying that this is who i am yeah this is my this is my body this is not something for you to put into a box or to pet or to tell me that i'm doing something wrong with it i don't tell you what you're doing with your stuff over there Right. 
that that but tokenization gives you that like aren't you my person to learn from that yeah. that one black person in the room is like white folks around aren't you that one person who's like can i learn from you so we're friends right so can i just ask you can i just labor you with everything that i want to know about black people and then i want to really touch on you just so i can get the real authentic piece that part is so hard because we're trying to find colleagues. We're trying to be at work. We're trying yep. to work with you. And then all of a sudden, you're asking me, you're tokenizing me. You're doing the same thing that the whole institution is doing when you want to say you're not a part of the institution. I, I institution's racist, but I'm not. And then here you come with the, did, have you ever heard of this? Uh, <laughs> what, girl, this one person was like, I don't, I think that he meant well. I must see there we go there we go trying to give them the benefit right exactly (laughs) then that's what we have to do we have to do that but he came in asking me about some uh some gangster rap something and I I, like I was supposed girl I don't listen to that I was like I don't know who you're talking about you've never heard of so-and-so should I I have not my 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 I was like my response to him was should I should I know who that is? Oh well, I just figured you might. You know, it's it's black, black. Cause I'm black. If you can say it, go ahead, go ahead. Let me hear you say it. Why did you bring that question to me? Did you ask everybody else in the office who this person was? Right. <laughs> or you know, or that one tokenized pr- perspective when you do something and everyone who's like prepping you, pumping you up when you're getting the project done, and then when you're presenting the project and the and the leadership, if you're not on the leadership team or the other leaders on your team. Look at you and go, well, it, I don't think it's a good fit. And the people who are propping you up go, sorry, sorry. Before it was like, yeah, you go, girl. You go, girl. And then when I get to it and I'm, t- and I'm authentically bringing something that brings culture and perspective to the, to the place, all my white, air quote, allies are, yeah. not, are no longer available to, to champion my idea because they're also tokenizing me. They're they're saying we really like you. We want to we want to we want to bolster your blackness. We are here for you. You can come and talk to me anytime someone's treating you badly. You come to my cubicle and you sit down right here and you talk to me about it. I'm on your team. Okay. And then when I come down to it and I'm being torn apart because nobody wants to talk about racism, yeah. I'm going to need somebody to stand the hell up and act like they know what I'm talking about. But no, they're like, ooh, this got to be some conflict. And I, as much as I want to see you grow, <laughs> as much as I want to be with you, I, you know, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the oh right, right place. I work like, here. Where were you last week then when I was giving you my final preview of the presentation <laughs> I'm giving today? You didn't think to bring this shit up then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you were like, go, sister. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then when it comes up, you're like, you don't stand up and go, wait, are you hearing what she, like, okay, hold on. Well, I don't understand what the problem with the presentation is. We reviewed it. We all liked it. Can you yep. please be more, can you please be more detailed to why we won't accept this? Oh, ally. Right? Like, it's not that you're tokenizing me in the same way. You're trying to get close to the new cool thing at work and have yeah. no have no interest in what I'm really saying or believing or understanding what I'm really saying. You're just trying to be in my shadow. Like You're just trying to suck up my sunshine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is that? That's not helpful. That's tokenism on an individual level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it too much. I 
think on, on some level too, they feel like by by buddying up, like somehow they're they're less racist. Like the only thing I can really think to explain it to is like when a white man marries a black woman, and he's like, oh, I can't be racist. My wife is black. Ho! And it's like, Dude, Dude, that's not how it works. <laughs> so I feel like it's yikes. That in those those work situations where they're like, oh, you can trust me, or yeah, if you ever need anything, just come right in. And I think they're trying to show, like, the, oh, I always tell Aisha that she can come talk to me, or I always tell Siobhan that she's so I'm not racist. Right. You know, that's not what makes a racist person. You thinking that you need to treat me differently is what makes you a racist person. Right. When you have to readjust yourself because I'm in the room. Best believe you are attacking yourself with racism. You are you are aligning with racism. You believe that there is something different you need to do because I'm in the room. What were you doing when I wasn't there, right? What what caused you to have to adjust in my presence? You know what I mean? And people be like, oh, I'm just trying to make it better. Don't be better at all times. Okay, <laughs> be non-racist at all times. It doesn't require anything better. When I'm yep. here, you just need to be better, right? Like, and so it's, <laughs> I always laugh about that. Uh, anyway, I won't go there. But, <laughs> but in this idea of tokenism, I think that, that it's not a gift. It's not good. It doesn't feel yep. good. Um, yep. Black folks everywhere are in the fight. And we are just like I am with the committee for OCF. Just like we are like, uh, you know, when I was, um, in the diverse, I mean, in any of the diversities that I was doing for the state, all the things, it's like, if you're looking at one black or brown person, indigenous person, to give you the answers for the whole community, you know, if you're not, if you have this person in your midst and you're not giving anybody, or you're not giving that particular person a, a, a microphone and a recorder and you're not listening word for word for what has to happen and then adjusting yourself to the suggestions that are being made, you're tokenizing that person, right? And it's traumatic. And, and, and right and the people what we have to do to be in that room is not being is not understood because you're looking and at through a filter of privilege right um, we talked about all kinds of things that we had to do to just be in the room we talked about our hair we talked about our, the way we talk we talked about how we have to give them our idea let them strip it to the bones and then try to say that uh, that the idea that they came up with was some sort of we're supposed to recognize what we gave them out of this stripped ass carcass of an idea <laughs> and say that's what we're, that was progress and we all know that it was the least that they could possibly do and then we have to swallow that and say you know what i guess we got at least our we at least it, it, they took the a b they left all the other alphabet out but they took the a b and that's a win for us because before they wouldn't even take the b they would just take the a so yeah that's what we have to to hold on to and still go back to work the next day, right? Yeah, like, and to smile. Don't forget, we're supposed to smile. <clears throat> and not have an attitude. We're not angry. <laughs> go, don't have an attitude, because that's angry, and we can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, there's so many pieces of just feeling like that that one person in the room that you just cannot trust. Like, you can't, you can't be yourself. You can't come to work and just be, like, at 110 because you know they can only take 65 they can only take 32 you know yeah. um and as being a professional going through college doing our stuff we we want to come to work to be 110 that's how we were raised right yeah. we were raised to bring 110 we don't come to work to bring 32 you know what i'm saying no, it's all, it's all, i bring all of me to work you get all of me i'm yeah. working hard for all of me yes yeah and so our acquiesce to our, 
I want to give, before we go, because we're about out of time, but I want to give that idea of like, I really want to give empowerment to all of us people of color, all of us uh, BIPOC folks to, um, to show up and, and give real reason why. Like, you don't have to give real reason why, but when they ask you, don't back out of it. Back straight, back straight up in it. Stand, make it a lesson. Today you gonna get all of my Paiute. <laughs> Today you gonna get all of my black, right? And it's only because it's not to really make a point. It's to, so that you can go to work and feel good about yourself. And it's going to be uncomfortable for us too. As we yep. do that, as BIPOC people try to deconstruct what we know keeps our jobs, what we know keeps the the conversation flowing. For us to be able to stop and say, hey, in this moment, what we're not going to do is this. this. It's uncomfortable for us, too, because we don't know. We don't know if that means that there's going to be retaliation in real ways. Right. Right. I mean, that's just a fact. There's always retaliation. And it seems to be one of those things, especially the higher you up in management. It's interesting because, like, you know how they think, like, we all know each other. It seems like with the whole white supremacist system, they they, rank, they fall into rank real quick and in a hurry. Uh-huh. And it's something that, you know, people who are like that one person's like, oh, you can come talk to me. I'm always here for you. Mm-hmm. They step right behind that white man and say, oh, yeah, she was being a little loud that day. Right. You know, and it's not even things that are, are based on anything that's on a professional level right. or an action. It's just this fuzzy kind of, oh, well, she wasn't really, she wasn't nice. Or, oh, you know, I feel like maybe she was, I used, I actually had one of my bosses tell me, you're staying too late at work. You need to leave when the other managers leave. Why? <laughs> Girl, they didn't want you still in the staples. They didn't want- <laughs> like to dip at 4 30 or 5 and i would stay till i finished my work so they felt bad that they weren't there since i was the only manager there after five people would just automatically come to me for any problems and of course they want to dip out early mm-hmm. so it's almost like i'm being penalized for doing a good job but that sort of stuff is acceptable in this white supremacist system it, it's all about conformity it's all about like following the same flute player or whatever and the problem with that is is like I, I listen to drums, and so if you aren't playing drums, <laughs> I'm probably not going to follow you. And it's it's just I, I I really am happy we got a chance to touch on the tokenization and the empowerment of Black people too. If our communities or if our um, employment places aren't going to create that safe space for us, then we have to create it for ourselves. Yeah, and we have to be feeling all of our blackness every day and be comfortable in that enough to share it with others because they're going to learn and they're either going to learn to understand and want to know more or they're going to learn to keep their mouths shut. Right. Right. And I think in these moments of tokenism where you are the only black person there, hello, this is a black girl from Eugene's all about when you are the only uh, indigenous person there. I mean, pray hard, try hard, focus hard, meditate hard to be as to try to hold your ground in what you know to be true. Try to hold your ground to what you know to be true. And and hopefully what will happen is that you will find allies. You will find people who are going to be, uh, who are going to say, you know what? I don't think that's what she said. 
I, I matter of yeah. fact, let's go back over what that was because that's not the proposal that she made, and I think it need, we need to be as authentic to what is being proposed to us as possible since we don't have yeah. the narrative of black and brown people, and, and we have someone here who's trying to give it to us. Now, the day yeah. that a white person says that, you know, uh, without me being around is the day we are moving forward, right? Yeah. So, so the, the thing about us being a, the tokenized individual is stand your ground. We don't. We know what professional professional looks like we know Mm -hmm. what they're asking us to do but it is not our job to acquiesce to their weak to the weakness or to the uncomfortability or to the to the newness of hearing our words so stay strong in your words stay strong in your purpose because every black and brown person we have a purpose from our ancestors on up and it doesn't matter what position you have stay as authentic to your purpose as possible and you will be seen by those who can see you and it will we we will move forward right it, you, you're not alone although you it, we Siobhan and I have both been on the very very I mean like very very square tokenized black woman in the room okay so I'm talking from someone who I myself have transformed into something different girl look I'm afro I'm into locks now like tell me something if you want to right like I I moved on over, right? And so um, I can, I'm teaching at this point. You know, there's not the, when people come at me with their with the uh, with ignorance about race relations. I don't. It doesn't hit me square in my chest like it used to. Like yeah. the, all of a sudden, I've been assigned responsibility for. I mean, when I was younger, I was assigned responsibility for knowing all things black, and I felt somehow because I don't because I don't have a comeback because I'm just trying to live here that now. Yeah. I, I'm lacking of something like oh I'm like oh shit I don't know who was the first person who died in slavery was I supposed to like I don't I don't know and does that make me like you know so all of a sudden when I'm in fifth grade I'm I'm being taught that I'm inferior because I don't know something what and so then as we grow older we're having to deconstruct those ideas too this is something we have to let go of and at the same time respect the fact that this is a process for us to let go of it too. And I'm, I'll be 44 in like a week and a half. And yeah, and I, and girl, look, it's been, like you said, 30 something. I'm going to say probably around 33 is when I decided that I was like, some don't fit quite right with me. Like this doesn't, this, this doesn't feel good anymore. Right. Like there's a piece of me that's coming out that didn't used to be like so prominent. And when I got assaulted by the EPD, they didn't know what they were unleashing what they were unleashing was unapologetic Aisha, right? I'm like, like you know, you can fuck right off. Cause I, I just don't have the time to try to be small for your comfort yeah. anymore. And that was, I was, how old was I when I got beat up by EPD? Uh, maybe 37 or something like that. It was four, five, it was 2015. So yeah, I mean, it took me four years to recover. Four years, but all in that recovery, all in that recovery, all I learned was what it really meant, what I really meant to them. It didn't matter how good, how, how well I spoke. It didn't matter what degrees that I had. It didn't yep. matter how many tokenized positions I allowed them to put me in, how many ideas they stole from me, how many you know boyfriends I had or, or, or uh, relationships that I would go through. None of that that I was a good citizen, no tickets, yep. my kids were A students, my butt, none of that mattered. Cause when it came down to it, guess what I was? A black woman. 
black okay and whatever that value they had to that they got to assign to it so at that moment i had my own reality check and this is what i'm giving to my other black sisters and my other brown sisters and my indigenous sisters and brothers everybody don't wait for that type of reality check you know what i mean show up show up and show out because if nobody else is cheering for you i am (laughs) <laughs> me too right me too. And I, I think that's that's really that's so important is we have to we are all struggling with this and we're all at different places with it I, I and we are people that will not be kept down and so there's really only forward to go through and so for me what kind of keeps me you know when I'm kind of sometimes in those dark times like how the heck am I going to get through to these people I think what brightens my spirit is to think, you know, if I can just move the needle a little bit further, somebody else can come in behind me and move it a little bit further. And maybe two people can come in behind them. And slowly but surely, as agonizing as a process that it has been, we can we can still move forward. I want to walk in the footsteps so somebody can walk behind me and hopefully bring everybody with them. That's right. (laughs) The gate is always open behind this one here, okay? Nope. That's yeah, right. We don't close it. We don't close it. It's, once we open it, it's open. That's right. That's, right. That's right. You know what? Thank you so much, Siobhan, for joining me today. Girl, please come back so we can have more and more. Yes. I'm telling you, when I talk about this hair, we, I would love, but we could spend a whole hour talking about the journey that it took me to get to this. And, and, and I love your hair. I think I told you that on Wednesday. That, <laughs> you know, okay, so I'm going to give Cassie, Cassie a shout out. Cassie Chambers, um, she works at Hair Column. She has a happy, uh, um, uh, and you can find happy, it's H-A-P-I, um, and Black Hair Matters in Eugene, Oregon. Cassie hooks my, once a month, she does a retwist to my locks and uh, a little touch up in the color, you know, and we get it done. Other than that, I do my own, re, uh, my own uh, retwist, but she has been hooking me up. So whatever I have a style, that's Cassie. You Cassie? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have to reach out. Yes. Cassie, so, um, Cassie can braid her butt off. Like, when I'm talking, like, designs and, and I mean, it looks, check out her website. It, it is amazing. And I, look, I don't go to white women to be touching all up in my hair. But when I talked to her, we had a good, long conversation about her understanding of my, of, of, literally of racism and of tokenism and of, of, um, you know, saviorism. We had, and I, because ha- I had to talk to her. Locks are a journey, and I wasn't letting anybody up in my hair. But the one person I, anywhere in Eugene, I couldn't find no black people who could maintain locks in a way that I thought was what I wanted, right? And the cost was not was not reasonable. So I was like, you know, coming from a place like Houston, I'd be damned if I'm paying you four hundred dollars to retrace my locks. You got me. Oh, you got me all the way backwards. So I was like. I, when we talked, matter of fact, I was with a black woman, Cherie, who was who was uh, coloring my hair, and she was like, "Let me help uh, with your locks." And I was like, eh, "We gotta talk first, right?" And then she started showing me her work, and then we started having a conversation. And I was like, "All right." Black woman gave her the referral. I was like, "Okay, you trust her, okay?" You know. And then I let her do my hair, girl, and we we have a friendship, and she I trust her very much, and I'll refer anybody to her if you're comfortable with white folks in your hair. She is a trusted person to have in it, and she does the work, and she's she's she does the work. So I, um, yeah. So anyway, she went through the ringer with me, <laughs> but but she was happy to do so, and because it meant a lot to me to have my hair being touched and nourished by somebody who gets the work. And and uh, 
Yeah. You, you have to. That's your, this is my crown. This is where I shine. I mean, yeah, there's a brain in there and that does a lot of good stuff too. But my hair, I mean, that's, this is, this is, this is my hair. I don't, I honestly don't let nobody touch it. Okay. I, I don't let, no, no, nobody's ever had their fingers in my hair except one woman who is also my mom's hairdresser and has been her hairdresser for like years and years and years and years and years. And she, she did it when we went to the theater one time. One time. <laughs> Nobody's ever been in my hair. I just, I don't, it's a very intimate thing with me. It's an intimate thing with black women. It's an intimate thing with black folks. You know, with the, being up in our hair is like, you know, our mothers and grandmothers do our hair if we have those folks in our life up until adulthood. It's a bonding. It's yeah. a it's a ritual. It's a, I'm looking down where you would have your child in between your knees yep. when you're doing her hair. Like, this is story time. You know what I mean? This is bonding time. I'm giving massages. Like, I'm getting massages. This is important. So we can't have, yeah, we can't have just any old body all up in it. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So anyway, we, we digress. What we're saying is... <laughs> I know. Part two, starting right now. Um, so, anyway, thank you so much, Siobhan. Give a shout out to your website one more time, so people and I, uh, people can know. And I will also um, put that in my show notes for people who want to know more about Siobhan and what she's doing um, in the community. And um, and I and I just want to say thank you. And please, please, please come back again on my show. We could definitely do this again and again and again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it has definitely been a blast. I know we went over a little bit, so hopefully we haven't bored people. But um, I thoroughly I enjoyed myself. You know, I always love speaking with you, and I will be. I would be honored to come back and discuss whatever topics, hair, you know, how to make the community better. Um, I don't know, we be more specific or something. But with my what I offer to our local community is Siobhan Solutions, and the website is SiobhanSolutions.com. And if you go on there, you get a little bit of an intro about what it is that I'm looking to do. We have listening sessions where we try to get a group of people together in a very safe space where they feel comfortable talking about some areas of racism or systems of racism that they've noticed within their organization. And then after a few listening sessions, there's a whole education program. It's a four-part series that starts with awareness, goes to knowledge, then to skills, and then ends with advocacy. Each part is about an hour and a half, and it really just kind of delves deeper into getting everybody on a similar foundation of, yes, there's racism, here are some of the systems, here are the examples, here are some skills you can use, and then let's go do some stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would love it if you could check it out. Once again, it's SiobhanSolutions.com. Okay, spell Siobhan so they know. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's spelled S-I-O, be like boy, H-A-N-S, then S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. So Siobhan Solutions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am going to also put that in show notes on my podcast. So if you guys listen to my podcast or if people on my podcast are listening, check out the show notes because her website will be there. Um, I, this is it. Did you have any last comments before we jump off? This is nice. This is nice. This is a little cathartic. Um, <laughs> I must admit, this is, this is very good. Uh, I was a little hesitant because I'm not really a, a green person, but you, were, you walked me through that last <laughs> night, so that was great. <laughs> but um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this. I mean, it, it's nice. Uh, there's another friend of mine who I'll 
you guys want to link up afterwards. She is also black and from Eugene and has been here her whole life. So um, it's there, there are we are out there. Oh, one last thing I would like to say is I hear a lot of times two to three percent black population. That is about thirty five hundred black people in Eugene. Mm-hmm. So it's not small. We're here. Come find us. Right. Right. Absolutely. That I mean, that's my number one thing is like, don't don't be trying to act like two and three percent don't count. <laughs> you know um yeah so thank you so much and absolutely let me know who you're talking about and uh and i would love to hook up i mean i i hear that quite a bit about the show it's a a cathartic place and i want to give it to us you know and i need more indigenous folks to come on my bestie's too scared she's like scared and i want her to come on yeah she's scared but i'm gonna get her here i'm gonna just trick her into it I was scared too. Uh, we we, we I know. don't work on it. I, we, we don't, don't work on it. Like a Greenland show or something like we did last night with those technical difficulties. <laughs> we gonna figure it out though. Two black women. We gonna figure it out. It's gonna do. be all right. That's nothing we can't do. All right. Well, stay well. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we will talk again after this so that you can get all the videos and all the things that you need. Yes. Thank you again, Aisha. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye.